You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. My guest today is Nancy May. Nancy has spent her career working with CEOs, boards of directors, and senior leaders in both public and private sectors. She currently is the owner of a new business called Caremanity, which focuses on providing family caregivers structured ways to obtain practical knowledge, resources, and access much-needed support. I just got done reading her tremendous book, and you are going to love hearing what Nancy has to say about paying the price of leadership. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pulled back the curtain on leadership and talked to world-renowned leaders about what it took them to pay the price of leadership. And today, I am very excited. My guest is Nancy May. Nancy has spent her career working with CEOs, board of directors, and senior leaders in the public and private sectors. These experiences gave her the strength and foundation to step in and provide her parents with guidance and support, both as their POA and trustee as they age. So we're going to really unpack this because she has some great tips for those of us that have recently been through aging parents or are going through it right now. She credits her father, an entrepreneur innovator in eyewear design, and her mom for encouraging and preparing her to acquire the many skills needed to start and lead several successful businesses. She then transitioned these competencies and life lessons to her new business, Caremanity LLC, which focuses on providing family caregivers structured ways to obtain practical knowledge, resources, and access much-needed support. Nancy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Tracy. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And for our listeners, Nancy and I really just connected in this wonderful group called the C-Suite Network. She had me on her podcast last week, and now we're having her here. So this is kind of how our wonderful network has emerged and blossomed. So that's where I found Nancy. And she's, I got her book. We'll talk a little bit about that at the end. But Nancy, I want to talk to you. You know, you've been successful in many different adventures. And you know, being successful, there's a lot of stuff behind the curtain that goes into it, hence paying the price of leadership. There sure is. <laughs> and my father wrote this book many years ago, and it's one of the top sellers because leadership is a joyful thing. It's also a really tough thing. But I, I wanted to talk to you about the four aspects of that speech that he calls out in The Price of Leadership. And the first one that he talked about was what he calls loneliness. And this is tough for us because we don't like to be lonely and we hear that it's lonely at the top. And I know many of my friends that have shied away or not wanted to stay a leader because they're like, hey, I kind of lost my friends or I can't really do what I used to before. But can you unpack for me in your particular journey? what loneliness means to you as a leader, and maybe share some experiences and how you would exhort a lonely leaders out there that may be going through this season right now? Jeez, you know, that's a big subject and probably could be a show into itself, right? Yeah. You know, it is especially difficult for those of us who are extroverts, or at least on the cusp of being an extrovert and knowing how to balance being quiet What's, and when it's important and being totally out there, you know, with like everything off, you know, no holes barred type of environment. But loneliness is probably not what I consider a sad thing, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. something that really gives you the ability to think a little bit more about, especially when you talk about people losing their friends. So I think it's really important to understand who your friends and your trusted advisors are as opposed to the superficiality of just having a lot of people around you. Wow. And that's a big mistake. I think a lot of people over the years 
equate with leaders is that they have lots of people around them. Therefore, they are popular, they're authorities, and they're, they're super figures. But I had a conversation a number of years ago with a fellow who was the CEO of a very large, well-respected company. And when he left the company, he had actually sent a note out to his whole cadre of friends and colleagues on needing some support for a not-for-profit that he was looking for some money for. And so I, I donated, I ponied up, I did what I thought was right to support him. Mm-hmm. And he reached out to me, he said, Nancy, you were like one of maybe three people who mm-hmm. responded. Mm-hmm. And he said, why is that? I don't understand. I had like all these people around me all the time as the CEO of this major company. And he said, Joe, what you don't understand is that people were attracted to the checkbook and the title. They may not have been attracted to you. So loneliness for him actually came after the fact and the realization that maybe, I mean, he was totally lost and couldn't figure it out. And I'm not sure the conversation sunk in, quite frankly. It was a very interesting discussion. It opened my eyes a lot more, too, to realize, like, it was right there in front of me. It was like, duh, (laughs) the duh factor, right? So, you know, loneliness really gives you, is is probably not the right word. It's Mm -hmm. selectivity, right? Love it. Those who are going to be by you and those that you are willing to lead beside. I love that. That I would call it. And sometimes loneliness is good, you know, or it's maybe the quietness. It's the gentle, it's the gentle corners that you need to go in to reflect a little bit. Beautiful. I love that. Gentle corners instead of rock in a hard place. Gentle no, corners. No, the gentle corners. Yeah, I they really are. I love that. Well, like a lot of people have used this pandemic as like people like the sky is falling and like, well, I've gotten more done in the past six months and more clarity that I have in the last 12 years I've been back. So I'm thankful for the- Quietness can be a gift. Yes. Especially for people like us that, like you said, are over the cusp of extroversion. Mm -hmm. And it's like, sit down and be quiet and focus. You know, shut up and think, Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) And then your mind is like this, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Let's get going. You know, back to your friend, Joe. Do you think that was the first time he ever left a job? No. Okay. He'd been with other environments before, but in in this particular organization for a very long period of time. Okay. And And I know that he had been other places, but it was, when you get to the top, and especially in a situation like that, gravitate you and they flatter you. And sometimes it's what they say, don't believe that the headlines, you know, in the newspaper about you, don't believe your own press. That's what they say. Right. I love that. I think that's such a great point. And you're the first leader that has really brought that out. And I think it's also worth sharing with people. Sometimes people are like, well, I can't leave an organization because they'll be lost without me. And I'm like, "Mm -mm. somebody's going to- Everybody's replaceable. Yeah. I said, if even the president can get assassinated and there's somebody new, trust me. You like to think that you're the glue holding everything together, but people, and I don't say this to be hurtful, people, you'll have a few that you really inspire. And obviously he had three that resonated with him and believed in him. That's really good. Okay. But I mean, most people really are just in it for themselves, just trying to get through the day. And so I just love that you brought that out. I learned that because I've left jobs many different times and had to really, the first time that happened, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not it. I'm not the thing that holds everything together. I'm not the life of the party. And people just go on. And it's just good to, to keep that all in perspective. Well, it's very important that people in their careers, especially if they're with one company for a long period of time, which is not as common today, but it, mm-hmm. there's still a number of people who do. And even still, if you're not, that the pipeline of relationships inside the company or the organization is not where you need to be focused 100%. 
Mm. I mean, there's definitely the politics from a career ladder perspective that goes on, uh-huh. but truly the strength is in who you know on the outside oh. and how you manage those relationships from vendors to friends to oh associates to colleagues to sports enthusiasts. The color of that mixture is mm-hmm. so important mm-hmm. to creating a career, if we're talking about careers and leadership, that is is one that enriches you as well as those that you're leading. Wow. Nancy, and again, I have never heard anybody say it, but the strength who you know on the outside. And that's incredible because as we said, when you're gone, they're going to have the next person. And you don't want to be back there talking about the way stuff works because there's going to be that kind of, is there divided loyalty? There could be some non-compete. There could be the perception that you're trying to put. Just let that go. I love that. Really focus on the outside because that's who's still going to be there for you. Yeah. I mean, the same thing is true with families, right? Parents pass, the next generation comes along. Absolutely. I love it. Okay. So next, my dad talked about weariness. He had some funny things to say. He called a lot of people thumb suckers because he'd be like, well, you thumb suckers are dragging me down. I'm trying to do this, but it's a thumb suckers. And you know, there's always going to be in leadership, some people that step up to the plate and hit the home run and other people that you're like, are you even on the team? Why do you even bother? Can you put your uniform on right at least? But it is tiring. It's tiring because people look to you. You always got to be on. How do you handle weariness, especially dealing with an age. We talked about that in me sharing with you. How do you deal with not only leading people, but some of the other stresses of life that hit you too? Yeah. You know, there's several kinds of weariness. I think there's mental weariness, Mm -hmm. there's physical weariness, and there's emotional weariness. And mental and emotional are not necessarily the same, right? Okay. Right. So the physical weariness is just physical exhaustion. I mean, you just, your body aches and that can happen for a variety of reasons. And I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, but we've all felt it. You know, our mind is tired, our body is exhausted and our muscles start to ache because everything else that's going around, the pressure is going on around us. And for me, you know, one way that I handle that is to, I'm not a meditator. I have tried. I can't sit still. I mean, I can, but like my mind is going chatter, 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 chatter. And, and I've tried to do it and I've done well when I force myself to, but it's finding those five minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is. It's very mm. difficult for me. So my form of meditation is in the morning, I get on my rowing machine it's a physical meditation and it's kind of a mental, I throw in like earphones and I podcast and I listen to things and it just shuts out the rest of the world. I made it a focus mm-hmm. on something that's for me. So that's kind of the way I handle the physical and the mental weariness from that point when the mental impacts the physical and it gets my day sort of started. Sometimes I miss it. Like today I couldn't go out and do it because I had to get out really early and do some things, but that's okay. I'm going to do some other things in between and, and tomorrow I'll be back on and do a little extra row for mm-hmm. me. Then there's the, the emotional weariness, which can be debilitating and exhausting mm-hmm. and can break you down in many ways. So that I think is just finding like, you know, the quiet corners, right? The quiet time just to shut things down, read a book, get away from it, whatever it is, and read something frivolous if you can. If you like trashy novels or mysteries, read those. Right. Put that weariness and exhaustion into somebody else's hand, a fictitious, you know, a fictional <laughs> character. Watch a movie, you know, you throw it into, so I'll give you one example. Over this past year, there's a, a little bit of emotional uh, weariness going on with me and family. So my way, one way to escape with, with my husband is we put on every, this sounds terrible, murder and mayhem TV Netflix show we could have. It was like violence and you name it. It was, we were watching like the whole narco series in different languages. <laughs> 
And for some reason, it allowed me to transfer that energy to somebody else. Yeah. That sounds like I'm a real psycho case. (laughs) It was like, here's the next Narcos, like a binge watching (laughs) Narcos. (laughs) And then next, Sons of Anarchy. Then it was like, I mean, you name it. There was like the list of these shows that went on. And it just gave me a release. Hmm. So maybe somebody should psychoanalyze me on that one. (laughs) And then there's the mental weariness because we're pouring so much into our jobs and our careers or our businesses. Mm -hmm. And there's where I find trying to solve problems a little differently, be creative, to look at the picture in a very unique way. So I have a friend that is a brilliant innovator and he refers to himself as a junkyard dog and solving problems, which I love. He's not a prancing poodle. He's a junkyard dog. And I hire a junkyard dog over a prancing. What a cool descriptor. I love that. Yeah. But he said, you know, he was a, he played pool as a young man and was in tournaments. And there was one particular kind of pool that he had learned and he didn't see the shot. And one of the top guys came over to him and said, you don't see the shot, Ed, do you? And he said, no, I don't. And he said, I want you to draw, take an imaginary string, put it from where you are to the wall behind the table at about a 30 degree angle and look at that spot where that string is on the wall and just sort of gaze, don't look at the table, but just sort of put the table in the line of sight and see if the shot comes into view. And he said, I see it. Oh, he made it. So in this particular case, I use the analogy that he didn't look at the problem, which is where our mental weariness will happen. And he looked just in the distance, but kept the problem just a little bit in the fuzzy sight. So if you look beyond the issue, And just kind of expand your visual, your mental, your emotional perspective of things. The problem may actually just come into sight, or not the problem, but the solution may come into sight. Yes. Or several. So it gives you a way to sort of step back, but still keep things in perspective. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. thought it was brilliant. It is. That's kind of how I handle weariness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a great thing. So don't look at the problem, but look past the problem. And yeah, you still right. keep the problem in sight. You're not, yeah. you're not you're closing your eyes to it. Right, well, right, right. Because that's, it, it's, it's still there and it's going to get bigger and scarier and that kind of thing. But I love it. Somebody told me once when I was at this landmark, it was this landmark forum where you went in and really unpacked a bunch of stuff. It was really, really cool. It did it like 20 years ago. And one of the things was so they called somebody up on stage and said, okay, I'm going to throw something at you, catch it. And of course they dropped it because when everybody's looking at you and they said, here's the trick. When they throw it at you, don't look at it come, trying to catch you you look, watch it come into your hand. And then she caught it like 20 times in a row. And so she's like me, you throw something at me and I'll, I'll like flinch, you know, I'm not catching it. And so I try that every time I'm like, throw it to me. And they're like, you're going to catch it. And I'm like, I'm going to catch it. Cause I know that that kind of mind trick now of what I need to look for. To Don't let it bounce it. out of your hands. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, now the next time I'm going to do it because you said that Nancy, I'm just kidding. I love it. That's really awesome. And I love how you broke down Mental versus emotional, because there are very, really very different and kinds physical of weariness, weariness right? Yeah. You will get the mental and the emotional weariness. Your muscles will tense up. It, it just, it happens. Oh, yeah. Tension. Yeah. Well, and I think too, when you're on, on the scent, like a junkyard dog, um, you may surpass limitations that you never knew you had because you forget time and you get so hyper-focused on it. And that kind of brings us to our next topic, which is abandonment. And my father would always say, you know, that we're our own worst hindrance for success because we're not very diligent about focusing on what we ought and need to think about in favor of like what we want and like to think about. And kind of where you were talking about people um, in your relationship pipeline, you know, having those people that really are going to speak into you 
you may not want to hear it, but these are the words you need to hear. So can you talk to me about abandonment in your career and as how you had to deal that as you took on different roles and picked up different hats? So I'm going to approach this a little differently. Mm-hmm. There's the abandonment where somebody leaves you and you, mm-hmm. you feel like you've been left out sort of in the middle of the ocean with no oars to row, right? And then there's the abandonment that you have to do to somebody else, Mm. which I think is actually more important. The abandonment of when it happens to you, it hurts. There's physical pain that goes on and you feel that somebody has left you and done you wrong, right? Mm. Don't take it personally. There, There may be something going on on their side. But I think the important issue on abandonment for yourself when you want to, you have to sort of remove the trash, I call it or take out the trash. It's not really that right way to say that. But at the end of the year, or the beginning of the year, we sort of, you know, our family, my husband and I have come to this habit of looking at the people who help us, who feed our heart, our soul, our lives, our business, and do good for us. Those that make our lives miserable. They don't feed into our hearts. They don't feed into what we're trying to do. They cause us pain. Mm-hmm. And they're selfish, and it's all about them. Right. And it takes too much energy. And I don't say there's nothing back in return, but they become the balls and chains in our life. Yeah. And so that's what I call, you know, I'll use the abandonment of removing the toxins out of your life. So you are now abandoning those toxins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not that they're bad people. They're good people for other people. They're just not good for you. And so... It's really hard to do that. It's the weariness that can also happen from that because it's draining. It's very draining when that happens. But that is so critical to keep a healthy mind, a a body, a business going because you're not wasting your energy. So I think it's important to think about who's being abandoned and who's doing the abandonment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you and your husband typically come to consensus on all of that? Oh, yeah. Real quickly. (laughs) I'm the one who tells, I'm the one who breaks the chain, but he's the one who says, this one's got to go, this one's got to go, this one's got to go. Interesting. (laughs) Because I'm sort of the door into our family. You know, he's the the back office. I'm kind of the front door. Oh, my God. I love that. Well, you know, I mean, that is such a great point, too, because as you're developing as a leader, there are going to be people that come into your sphere, even for a season, that when different things happen, and we're doing business differently now. It may not be, or they may have not grown with the position or been able to adapt. And I mean, it used to be fight or flight. No, no, no. You have to adapt. And not everybody has, some people are quite rigid. And, um, you know, if if they can't bring value, and like you said, they're not bad people, but they're just not right for you. I love the way you put that. And that's tough. And I'll tell you what, that's the biggest thing for leaders, I think, because it happens. And sometimes and, it works for clients too. I mean, you've got yeah. clients that just are not, I've had a few of those over the years that are just not right. You know, they, you've worked for them a long period of time. They become toxic for you. You pour your heart and soul and they just don't get it. Yeah. And, you know, there's the old adage for consultants, the best compliment is a check that clears. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> So, yeah, but we do need to make sure that we tap into those clients that they're happy. And even if they want more out of you, you have to put your boundaries on. And if they want more and are not willing to pay more, you know, maybe you just need to say time to cut. It's not. Yeah. And that's so important too for leadership because otherwise you'll get into that weariness and nothing you do will make them happy. My co-leader always, she calls it the PETA fee. 
she goes like, oh, I, I know the PETA. <laughs> I know. For the- <laughs> you have to make sure that you respect yourself as much as you hope right. they respect you. Right. And you know what? What kind of a good, it's like dating when you fight all the time. Why would you want that? I don't like drama. I like getting stuff done. I'm like yeah. you. Let's get it done. That's and- not a date. That's punishment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in the professional world, that's good too. So I love that you really take stock of everything. And I'll tell you what, I've listened to a lot of leaders and this is so critical because you are only going to be lifted as high as everybody else. And all it takes is one or two. And when you really look at all the hours in your day and what is spent on productivity and what is spent on non-value add, I call them time sucks. Like Lee and I started now really just mapping out the days. And it's like, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. And it's like, our eyes got big after the first week of doing this. Like, this is the amount of time we spend on these inane tasks and not even good hunting out opportunities, but just non-value added stuff. So, I mean, and I really think that's what my dad talked with abandonment. You got to prune. And I forget what word you use for it, but I like to call it pruning. Every year you got to cut off the dead disease. The balls and chains, yep. Yeah, because you can't get to the next stage of explosive growth if you have these sucker roots or, you know, dead pieces kind of splintering off kind of thing. So, yeah, excellent. All right, so last one is vision. And uh, vision means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. To my dad, he really just said vision was nothing more than just seeing what needs to be done and then doing it. And, you know, a lot of people, Nancy, you've been in the business long enough, big talker, better crocker, but, you know, just not a lot to back it up. So what does vision mean for you? And how have you, how do you gain clarity with your vision? You know, vision is probably the most difficult point of, uh, or topic of discussion because it's different to everybody. Vision Mm -hmm. could be the vision for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be an idea. It could be actually something physically that you see, you know, where the opportunities are right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And it could actually be backward-looking vision, something that's happened before that you can learn from going forward. But, you know, for me, vision is really a variety of those things. And as, you know, I'm launching into this new area, I see the big picture, which is the vision for the future, or the big hope and opportunity, where I want this to go. And then I've got to break it into steps. So there's smaller, I'll call them smaller, uh, smaller pictures as opposed to the triptych. You know, I'm taking the first portion of the triptych, the three, the three panels, like which panel am I on right now or which portion of the roadmap that you're on right now. And then you've got to make sure that your vision is tight enough so that it's exciting and engaging for you and others because you really, I mean, you're talking about leadership here. So you want others to be able to engage and want to follow you. Yes. A leader can't force somebody to follow them. Right. And you can't lead from behind. You have to lead from the front, but you're actually in the middle all the time, I think, because you want people to be out in front of you mm-hmm. because there are those that are doers. And then they're, they're, but the heart and center of the body is right in the middle, right? I love it. You know, it's a heart and the gut that's right in the middle of the body. So think about it that way. And then from behind, you want people to be able to provide that support, that solid connection behind Yeah, have you. your back, literally exactly. in the middle. Yeah, because yeah. you can't have eyes behind you. Yeah, check and, six. And, yeah, somebody's in yeah, the back. And, and then there's, I call it the WTF vision. <laughs> the vision where it's like so far out there that you're bleeding edge, not leading it. And bleeding edge means you're going to get shot, you're going to get killed, and the rest of the leading edge folks are going to trample right over your dead bones, and that's it. So you have to balance that excitement and engagement of where you want to be and just staying out far enough to make it purposeful and exciting and engaging for you so that you can still execute. And how do you get those amplifiers for that? Is that kind of a daily type 
metacognition where you take little steps, reflect back. I know you're in the C-suite with me or with a lot of wonderful people, but how do you hone that? How do you make sure you're catching everything as a leader you need to know? That's kind of like the amoeba shape, you know? It's always like morphing and changing. I I use a lot of what I call sensory components. So Mm -hmm. I listen to a lot of things. I see a lot of things. I sort of pick them up and just constantly fine tuning like an artist, you know, an artist will look at a picture, the canvas starts white, they draw, they take things away, they add light, they add shadows, they remove some colors. It's kind of like that painting component. It's never really 100% done till you call it done. And then the artist truly will never see a painting finished ever. Lisa was never finished. There's always something else that could happen to it. So, you know, you just have to know that the subtleties and the range and the extent of where those adjustments take place is just, you know, you're fine tuning. Well, I think that's really great uh, sage wisdom for leaders, because I think sometimes everybody thinks, well, you get it. You go up high on the mountain, a burning bush or a goat or somebody tells you what it is, and then boom, you got it. And it's like, no, you know, it's much more subtle and nuanced a lot of times. You know, my belief system, you only get shown this piece right now. And then I love how you call them century pieces where you just, you're constantly making sense and all this stuff is coming into clearer focus because what I knew today, I'm a different person than even I was this time last week because of all the different people that have poured into me over the past seven days. So I love that you brought that up because I think sometimes leaders forget, you know. You have to trust your gut along the yeah. way too. That's yes. really hard for people to understand, you know, or a lot earlier in my career, people said, trust your gut, listen to it, Nancy, it's good. Yeah, I don't know about that. And even still, you know, question, every time I question something that just doesn't feel right, that's when you fall off the horse, right? Or you get a little too bold. I grew up riding and every time I got very aggressive and I knew I was going to think, I was like, I was going to take that jump. I was going to do something else. Darn if I didn't end up in the dirt. (laughs) Well, I love how you called it the bleeding edge and the leaning edge because yeah, I've stepped over, yeah, have a couple of mistakes. So for leaders to- And then there's no edge at all. Yeah, there's there's going to be times where you just- There's things we call that in the military, you know, different acronyms. But, you know, what do you do? You just get back up and say, you know, I'm not going to do that again. So you learn from it, right? You know, I do a lot of head chatter. So I'll I'll have a situation and I'll think it, you know, once it's done, the conversation, I will talk to myself over and over and over and over and over again. Think, did, Did I say that right? What could I learn? You know, did I do the right thing? You know, did they respond differently? What happened to, what did I could have pushed it a little further? Hmm. So, you know, never totally satisfied with the outcome. And especially if you're in a situation where you're, you're just trying to get something right Mm -hmm. and it's never perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect is, was they say, um, perfectionism is a form of procrastination. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just think about that. And next time you'll do it a little differently, but the environment next time will be different and you'll have a different level of confidence from the experience that you had before. Right. And I think that gives you as a leader, a more openness to risk and trying new things because you know. Ah, it may be a little bit different there. I'm going to try and figure out what I can, contingency plan, but there's going to be some things, law of unintended consequences. I'll deal with it if and when it happens. And And listen, you have to use your ears. Your ears are probably your biggest asset as far as bringing that all in. Ears plus the gut, plus the old gut. Yeah. Yeah. Plus the eyes, plus the head. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now we turn it into like this massive puzzle piece. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's what it is. And every leader will tell you, I mean, 
they're like, what's the most important thing about this? And I'm like, oh, come on, it's a trick question. There is no one thing, right? Yeah, like the movie, everything. what's it's the a, one thing? There is no one thing. What's the most important trait of leadership? I don't know, but you're going to tell me what you think it is. And what I think it is going to be completely different. I don't know. They're all important. You know, you can't say it has to be this, you know? So I love Depends it. Depends on what you're leading today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how everybody's showing up. Maybe nobody got a good night's sleep last night. And you're going to have to have a different kind of leadership type thing. Yeah. Let everybody take a nap or something. I don't know. I don't know. All right, Nancy. Well, listen, so we have covered loneliness, weariness, abandonment, and vision, and I've loved your input and insights into each one of them and what they made to you. Is there anything else while we're talking to leaders on leadership that you would like to dispense of your wisdom with them? I would say that a leader is not just one person. It's not a figurehead. We are all leaders, even at the entry point. And years ago, I did some work for a large financial institution and they were trying to figure out how to improve the quality of the relationship with the customer. And the customer connection, telephone or voice connection, was a very entry-level person who may have been there for a long period of time, not highly educated, and a very diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. And the senior management sort of looked down, poo-pooed on them for what they did. Yet these people were so critical to the front line, right? Just like in the military, the leader of the front, who are the people at the front line that are putting their neck out to save yours? And so what we did is flip things on their head and say, you know, you guys at the top or gals at the top, the leaders, you were just going to tell them what's going on when you're not around. So they know that out of sight does not mean out of mind. Just a conversation. But you're going to put the leadership in the hands of the people way underneath you, which is the front line, and give them the authority to make the decisions that they know are absolutely correct for the customer. And those people on the front lines were scared to death. They said, how do we know how to lead? And they said, you will know how to lead. You know what's right. You've been trained. You know exactly what to do and how to help the customer. If you can't figure it out, you get somebody else in your team or somebody else across the office to say, hold on a second, I'll get somebody for you to help it. Mm-hmm. And you work together to mm-hmm. solve the problems of the customer. Their business increased in three months. I think it was something like 20%, 26% increase in profits in three months. Wow. And the people at the bottom who were never allowed to be leaders were so amazed by themselves and so engaged and so excited that they had been given the authority to do what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. They were not put in boxes. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's what leadership's all about. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to come from the top. Leadership comes from the bottom. It comes from the middle, comes to the inside and outside. I love that. Leaders on entry. And it is scary because we that have been in leadership, we want everyone in our organization to understand they are a leader. But a lot of people are like, I didn't sign up for that. But it's like monitor their distress and yeah, give them the tools that if they need help. And even when I came back to run the company, People would call and I'm like, I have no idea what this person's talking about. I would, it was only like five years into it that I could take any call and go, yeah, I'll tell you what to do. I didn't know. And it's okay if you make a mistake. Yeah. I don't know the answer. Let me get the help. Let me get somebody else or hold on. Let me go get that copy done for you. Right. Right. And I was the president of the company and I'm like, I will find out. Let me check. But I don't know. I don't know. So I love that. Yeah. Excellent, Nancy. Well, Nancy, how can people, what are you working on? I want to talk about your book your book that I just got, what you're, what's going on with that. So tell folks a little bit about how they can get in touch with you and uh, what you're doing with Caremanity. So Caremanity is a new business. And the name Caremanity came out with the idea of bringing care and humanity back together. So hence the name Caremanity. 
And it's not just care and humanity for the person, the family member that we're taking care of, in our case, an older parent, but it's really also the care and humanity for ourselves. Because if we're not kind and gentle to ourselves, and, and everybody tells you you have to be good to yourself as a caregiver. And quite frankly, I think that's like BS in many times because you're under so much stress trying to do what's right. But that really happens by having the right tools and resources. And those are going to just like leadership, they're going to evolve and they're going to change. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes. It's, you know, it's okay, right? Yourself great. As long as you have the vision out front of what you want to achieve, ultimately, what's the kind of life you want to provide for your parent or the loved one that you're overseeing? Do you want it to be good? Do you want to be kind? Do you want to be gentle? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be strainful or stressful? You may not like them. You want to say, screw them. That's it. Let them be miserable for the rest of their life, which I hope not. But, you know, sometimes and you need to walk away from that. That's not good for you either. So that's when it's, you know, kind and gentle for yourself. So that's what Care Manity is about. And what we're doing is we're organizing a way to make that path easier for people so that they know exactly what to do or where they are in a given path and how to get to that point for them and for the people that they're caring for. And the book, as you know, How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, it's a step-by-step guide for before, during, and after is a book that I wrote with my husband, really is our first sort of product out there. It's a very direct matter of fact. It's very easy to read. It's organized from before anything happens so that you're prepared, how to help the responders that are there that are coming to a 911 call, because if they don't know what to do and they don't know your situation, quite frankly, they lose people. And they've said that. I mean, it's not, they don't want to do that. Their goal is to transport the person to the hospital. How do you help somebody in the hospital so that you can provide better care for them and you can support the medical team? Because you're an integral part of that as a caregiver. And then at the end, you know, what happens? You know, how do you manage that in a way that is very organized and succinct? We don't get into the emotions on this book. It's really, it's a practical mm-hmm. roadmap mm-hmm. with tools and resources and checklists and everything else. And then we've got at the end, because we've been going through this pandemic and there are hurricanes and tornado seasons and whatnot going on. We did a chapter on what to do in case of disaster, mm-hmm. man-made or natural disaster. Mm-hmm. So things like, you know, what happens when the 911 system goes down, which it right. can go down. Think of the fires out in California, right? right. The wires are down, that you can't get a connection. You could actually text 911 on your phone. And depending upon where you are, there's a list in the book or the note in the book where you can check to make sure your region has a central office, I'll call it that would then get your text message and make sure that you get the help that you need. So that's just one example of what goes on. That's what we're doing. I have a Facebook group called Elder Care Success. Uh So anybody is welcome to join. It's a private group. So discussions in there are not open for the public to see. You join, you're asked to just answer three questions. I'm there all the time, just responding and sort of putting in tips and ideas and notes to do that. And then if they really want to get more information about the book and get a free file of life, which everybody should have, I don't care if you're two years old or one year old or 129 years old, you need a file of life. It's important. Mm-hmm. And you go to howtosurvive911.com and you get a free file of life. I love it. Well, and I love LinkedIn, this. obviously, you can get me on yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. And we'll put all the links down there. But I tell people, you know, you said everybody's a leader upon entry. Everybody listening right now is going to outlive somebody very near and dear to them right now. And this book is great because it teaches you how to lead them into the tough stuff and be prepared for it. And we need to do that. We see so many people that are just like, what? What was I supposed to be doing? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, if we really love one another. We're going to take care to make sure all this stuff is set up. So, yeah. so- there's the joy of life coming in when a baby is born. And then there's sort of, I hate to say, it, but I think there really should be joy at the end of life too. Yes. 
yeah. celebrating what you've accomplished, even if it's been a hard life. There's so much joy to be celebrated in a good way for the person who's going to depart and for ourselves too. Well, yeah. And to let our loved ones know that that's taken care of and they can just feel bad or prepare to meet the maker or just deal with whoever they need to say to what and, and not have to worry about all this stuff. That's huge. Yeah. Make it kind and gentle, right? Yeah, absolutely. For absolutely. you and for them. Well, you got that right. Well, Nancy, I can't thank you enough. Your perspective has been just so enlightening. I love, I've written down, scribbled a whole bunch of notes about different, <laughs> the way you say different things. So I thank you for your insights, for your leadership, for what you're doing to help so many people and for being a guest on my podcast. Thank you, Tracy. It has been a pleasure and an honor. And you're welcome. So everybody out there, be sure if you like us, do us honor of a subscribe wherever you listen to us, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Breaker, YouTube. Please leave us a review too and a comment. Nancy and I will answer. Love to hear from you. And to all you leaders out there, you keep on paying the price of leadership. Have a tremendous rest of the day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>